Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dreadtime story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is He by Guy de Maupassant. You ask me why I'm going to marry? I can scarcely dare to confess to you the strange and inconceivable reason that urges me to this insane course. I'm going to marry in order to not be alone. I do not know how to tell it, how to make myself understood. You will pity me and you will despise me when you know in what a wretched state of mind I am. I do not want to be alone anymore at night. I want to feel some being near me, close to me, a being that can speak, say something, no matter what. I want to be able to rouse that being from sleep, to be able to ask that being a question suddenly, even a stupid question, so that I can feel my dwelling is inhabited, so that I can know that a mind is awake, that a reasoning power is at work, so that... If I suddenly light my candle, I can see a human face beside me. Because, because, how can I dare avow my shame? Because I am afraid when I am by myself. Oh, you do not yet understand me. I am not afraid of any danger. If a man were to come in, I should kill him without a shudder. I have no fear of ghosts. I do not believe in the supernatural. I'm not afraid of the dead. I believe in the total annihilation of every human being that passes away. Well then? Yes? Well then? I'm afraid of myself. I'm afraid of being afraid. Afraid of the mental spasms that are driving me mad. Afraid of the horrible sense incomprehensible terror. Laugh if you please. It is hideous. It is incurable. I am afraid of the walls, of the furniture, of familiar objects which seem to me to become animated with a sort of animal life. Above all, I am afraid of the horrible confusion in my mind. The confusion of my reason which goes from me, all befogged, dissipated by some mysterious and inexplicable anguish. First, I feel a vague disquiet that passes into my mind and makes my flesh creep. I look around me, nothing. And I feel a need of something. Of what? Something incomprehensible. Then I become afraid simply because I cannot comprehend my own fear. I speak. I'm frightened by my own voice. I walk. Then I am frightened by the unknown that is behind the door or behind the curtain or inside the clothes press or under the bed. And nevertheless, I know perfectly well there is really nothing in any of those places. I turn around suddenly because I am afraid of what is behind me. 
although there really is nothing behind me, and although I know it. I become nervous. I feel a scare growing upon me, and I lock myself into my room, and I bury myself in my bed, and I hide under my bedclothes, and cowering there, gather myself like a ball, and I shut my eyes tight in desperation, and thus remain for a seemingly infinite length of time, oppressed by the thought that my candle is still burning on the little table beside the bed, and that I should really blow it out, and I dare not. It is not frightful to be in such a condition. There was a time when I never felt this way. I used to go home feeling perfectly calm. I went out and came in without anything to trouble the serenity of my mind. If I had been then told what a stupid and terrible disease of fear, of incredible fear, would come upon me in after days, I should certainly have laughed. I used to open the doors in the dark with perfect confidence. I used to make my preparations for going to bed quietly without even bolting myself in. I never thought of getting up in the middle of the night to see if all the entrances to my room were strongly secured. The trouble began last year in a singular way. It was in autumn, on a certain damp evening. When my housekeeper had taken her departure, after I had dined, I wondered what I was going to do. For some time I walked up and down my room. I felt weary, unreasonably depressed, incapable of doing any work, lacking even the mental force to read. A fine rain was moistening the window panes. I was melancholy, all permeated by one of those causeless attacks of despondency that make you feel inclined to cry. That makes a man want to talk to somebody or anybody in order to shake off the weight of his own fancies. I felt lonesome. Never before did my dwelling seem so empty. An infinite and heart-sickening solitude surrounded me. What was I to do? I sat down. Then a nervous impatience seemed to pass into my legs. I got up and began to walk again. Perhaps I was a little feverish, for my hands clasped behind my back, as one hands often are when one walks about leisurely, seemed to burn one another where they touched, and I noticed it. Then, a sudden cold shudder ran down my back. I thought the outside dampness was entering the room, and the idea occurred to me that it would be well to light a fire. I lit it. It was the first of the year. And I sat down once more, watching the flame. But soon, the impossibility of remaining quiet in any one position forced me to get up again, and I felt that I should have to go out somewhere to stir myself to find a friend. I went out. First, I visited the houses of three different friends, no one of whom was at home. And then I went out on the boulevard, resolved to find some acquaintance or other. It was dismal everywhere. The wet sidewalks were shining. A watery lukewarmness. One of those lukewarmnesses that nevertheless chills you. With sudden shivers, the weighty lukewarmness of impalpable rain seemed to bear down over the whole street. 
and to make the gas jets burn wearily and dim. I walked along, sluggishly, saying over and over again to myself, I shan't find anybody to talk to. Several times I looked into all the cafes between La Madeleine and Faubourg Poisson. Only miserable-looking people, who did not seem to have any vim enough to finish what they had ordered, were sitting at the tables. I wandered about in this way for a long time, and about midnight I took my way home. I was quite calm, but very tired. My concierge, who always goes to bed before eleven, opened the door for me at once, contrary to his usual habit, and I thought to myself, Hello! Some other lodger must have just gone upstairs. Whenever I go out, I always double lock my door. This time I found it simply pulled to, and the fact impressed me. I thought that perhaps some letters might have been brought upstairs during the evening. I went in. My fire was still burning, even brightly enough to light up the apartment. I took the candle in order to kindle the grate, when as I looked right before me, I saw someone sitting in my easy chair with his back turned to me, apparently warming his feet at the fire. I was not startled at all. No, not the least in the world. A very natural supposition occurred to me, namely that one of my friends had come to pay me a visit. The concierge, to whom I had given instructions when I went out, had naturally told the visitor that I should be back soon and had lent his own key. And then... All the other incidents of my return flashed through my mind in a second. The opening of the door at once, my door simply pulled to, etc. My friend, whose hair alone I could see over the back of the chair, had evidently dropped asleep while waiting for my return, and I proceeded to wake him up. I then got a distinct view of him. His right arm hung down. His feet were crossed one over the other, and the way his head drooped a little to the left of the armchair showed plainly enough that he was asleep. I asked myself, who is it? Anyhow, the light in the room was not strong enough to see perfectly by. I put my hand out to touch his shoulder. My hand touched only the wood of the chair. Nobody was there. The chair. What a shock it gave me. First I slept back as if the terrible danger had made itself visible. Then I turned round, feeling that somebody was behind me. Then, almost as quickly, an imperative desire to look at the chair again made me wheel around a second time, and I stood there, panting with fear, so bewildered as to be incapable of thinking on the very point of falling. But I am by nature a cool man. My self-possession soon returned. I thought to myself, I've just had a hallucination, that is all. And I immediately began to reflect on the phenomenon. In such moments, the mind operates very quickly. I had had an hallucination. That was an indisputable fact. Now my mind had all the time remained clear, performing its functions regularly and logically. There was consequently no real affection of the brain. The eyes alone had been diluted and had diluted my imagination. The eyes had had a vision. 
one of those visions that makes simple-minded folks believe in miracles. It was simply a nervous accident to the optical apparatus. Nothing more. Perhaps I had a slight cold in the chest. And I lighted my candle. As I bent down over the fire, I found myself trembling. And I drew myself up again with a sudden start, as if someone had touched me from behind. Certainly, my nerves were out of order. I walked to and fro for a little while. I talked aloud to myself. I hummed a few airs. Then I double-locked the door of my room. And I began to feel somewhat reassured. At all events, nobody could get in. Again, I sat down, and for a long time, I thought over my adventure. Then I went to bed and blew out my light. For a few minutes, everything seemed all right. I remained lying quietly on my back. Then I felt an irresistible desire to take a look at my room. And I turned over on my side. My fire held only two or three red embers, which barely lighted the legs of the chair. And I thought I saw the man sitting there again. I struck a match quickly, but I had been mistaken. I could see nothing. Nevertheless, I got up, took the chair, and placed it out of sight behind my bed. Then I made everything dark again and tried to go to sleep. I could not have sunk into unconsciousness for more than five minutes when I saw in a dream, and as distinctly as reality itself, the whole incident of the evening. I woke up in terror, and after making a light, sat up in bed without daring to try to go to sleep again. Sleep notwithstanding twice seized upon me for a few moments in spite of myself. Twice I saw the same thing. I thought I had actually gone mad. When daylight appeared, I felt completely cured. And I slept peacefully until midday. It had passed, entirely passed. I'd had a fever, a nightmare, or something of that sort. Anyhow, I had been sick. Nevertheless, I thought myself a very much the fool. That day I was quite jolly. I dined at the cabaret, went to the theater, and then started for home. But lo, as I drew near my home, a strange sense of uneasiness took possession of me. I was afraid of seeing him again. Him. Not afraid of him precisely, not afraid of his presence in which I did not believe, but afraid of another optical illusion, afraid of the hallucination, afraid of the fear that would come upon me. For more than an hour, I kept walking up and down the sidewalk. Then at last I decided this was absolute folly, and I went in. I panted so much that I could scarcely climb the stairs. I stood for a full ten minutes more on the landing in front of my room. And suddenly, I felt a rush of courage, a bracing up of will. I plunged my key in the keyhole. I rushed forward with a lighted candle in my hand. I kicked in the unfastened door of the room. I threw one terrified glance at the fireplace, and I saw nothing. <sighs> oh. What a relief! What a joy! What a deliverance!
I went to and fro with a swaggering air. But still, I did not feel perfectly confident. I would turn round by fits and starts to look behind me, and the darkness in the corners of the room frightened me. I slept badly, being incessantly startled out of my rest by imaginary noises. I never saw him. No. No, that was all over. Ever since that day, I've been afraid to be alone at night. I can feel it there, close to me. The vision. It did not make its appearance again. Oh, no. And what matter, anyhow, since I do not believe in it, since I know that it is nothing? Still, it annoys me, because I keep all the time thinking about it. One arm was hanging down on the right side. His head drooped a little to the left, like that of a man asleep. Oh, come, that, that's enough. Oh, mon dieu, I don't want to think about it anymore. And still... What is this feeling of being haunted? Why does it persist in this way? His feet were quite close to the fire. He haunts me. It is madness, but that's the way of it, isn't it? Who is he? I know perfectly well that he does not exist, that it is nothing whatever only exists in my apprehension, in my fear, and in my anguish. There. That's enough. Yes, but it is no use for me to reason with myself about it. No use to try to brace up against it. I can't remain alone at my home anymore, because he is there. I know I won't see him anymore. He won't show himself again. That's past. He is there all the same in my thought. Because he remains invisible, it does not follow that he is not there. He is behind the doors and in the closed press and under the bed and all the dark corners and in all the shadows. If I stir upon the door its hinges, if I open my bed closed press, if I lower my light to look under the bed, if I throw the light upon the corners, upon the shadows, he is not there. But then I feel him behind me. I turn around. Certain, all the while, I am not going to see him, that I will never see him again. He is behind me still for all that. Oh, it is stupid. It is atrocious. What would you have me do? I, I can do nothing. But if there were two of us together at home, then I feel... Yes, I feel perfectly sure that he would not be there anymore. For he is there because I am alone. And for no other reason than because I am alone. The... Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts. 
or send me an email at marleysghostpodcast at gmail.com. I do love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, visit my Patreon. We have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Rate and review so our community of Dreadtime listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings, sleep well.